Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. Bibles under your chairs uh, like the old days, maybe that will come soon. Uh, But if you have your own Bible, or maybe on your phone, I would love for you to turn with me to Psalm 148 this morning. As Alan said, my name is Joe. I'm teaching pastor here at Hope. We're glad that you're here. We're glad to share this space with you. Our mission as a church is to extend the welcome of Jesus to all of you who come in these doors. And we are grateful to Jesus that he has made this a space in which we can do that on Sunday. And not just in here, but out there and out there. I've got a great view right here through these glass panels of our children's church going on outside. This is a fantastic provision from God. We're grateful and we're glad that you're here. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, no matter what you are wrestling through right now, uh, we, are, we, we believe that you are here on purpose and we are glad that you took the time. We realize it takes a giant step to walk into a church building, especially if this is a new space for you. And we honor that. Uh, We are looking through the book of Psalms this summer. If you would turn with me to Psalm 148, we're coming to an end of our summer Psalms series. Next week, Aaron will be teaching on Psalm 150. That's the last Psalm in our Bible. And then we'll begin our journey through the New Testament letter of James. I'm excited for James. While prepping for James, I came across this provocative statement from a writer and author in the UK. He challenges us to read James in one or two sittings, and then he writes, quote, I challenge you not to marvel at how much it reads like a theological and ethical commentary on 2020. Hmm. Scripture is always relevant, uh, but James, I have a feeling, is going to sound like it was written yesterday. And so I'm excited for James. I'm excited to walk with Jesus, with James, with you all. But right now we are focusing on what are called the Psalms of Praise. The Psalms of Praise. Now, all 150 Psalms are praise, including the sad and the doubtful and the exasperated and the exhausted Psalms. They are all praise. But there are a handful of Psalms that center around a very familiar command. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, I said command, and that's been what's been so revolutionary for me this summer. That hallelujah is not a suggestion. That hallelujah is not advice. Hallelujah is like saying, drink water. Praise the Lord is like saying, drink water. You can't go three days without drinking water. We can't live longer than three days without water. And the same is true of praise. But that's not how we typically approach hallelujah, is it? Typically, we reserve hallelujah to moments when we feel like it. When we feel like it. We reserve hallelujah to the moments that we feel like saying hallelujah. So, for instance, whenever my family travels, and they could probably affirm right now, I make sure to bring not just a few board games, but a lot of board games. I bring a crate of board games. Why, you may ask. Why, they may ask. 
just in case. That's why. Just in case. We need a full array. It was like back in the day, I had like 600 CDs practically in my car. Why? Just in case. Just in case I want this. Or if I go traveling, I bring a book bag of books. I read about a quarter of one of them. But why do I bring the whole book bag? Just in case. And that is how we so often treat praise the Lord. We treat hallelujah like a just in case. We bring it out when we feel like it. When we feel like praising the Lord, we sing hallelujah. But I'm learning hallelujah is not a standby phrase. The hallelujah in the Psalms is an urging. It's an urging, no matter your circumstances. Whether you feel like it or not. We've been calling this the hallelujah habit. The hallelujah habit, should you take it seriously, is nonconformist. It's revolutionary. It's rebelling against the spirit of our age. Because the spirit of our age is what philosophers are calling expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. This says that anything I do, anything I say, anything I commit to as an individual that is not expressive to how I feel, it is inauthentic and therefore unworthy and probably harmful. And that's why if you don't feel like praising the Lord, it feels wrong because of the air we're breathing and the water we're swimming in. It feels false. But God gave us, this is what I want you to take away here. God gave us the Psalms to not just be expressive, but to be formative too. Sure, they express our heart's cry. And it is good to search the Psalms to find a Psalm that, that matches how you're feeling. But it is also good to be shaped and to be formed by the singing and the praying of these very Psalms. In fact, I would challenge you to read, sing the psalms that you don't naturally feel. So that over time, our unfeeling hearts start to feel hallelujah. They get resensitized to God's beauty. When our deformed hearts sing hallelujah, they get reformed, right, into the kind of heart that sees God as praiseworthy. No matter our circumstances. And so the hallelujah you have is a gift to us from God. And this morning, we're going to praise the Lord with Psalm 148. I'll read it. encourage you to follow along with me. We'll pray and we'll see what God has for us this morning. Psalm 148. This is God's word. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created, and He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling His word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Praise them. 
Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. And all God's people said, praise the Lord. Amen. Lord, would my words and would the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning be pleasing and acceptable to you. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. And Holy Spirit, would you empower this time so that these are not just words that would fall on us and perhaps even harden us, but instead your word would go in power and soften our hearts so that we would not just learn information, but be softened and actually see and therefore sing of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So about 18 months ago, I realized I needed glasses. This is a new thing for me. And so for the first time in my life, I went to an optometrist to get a prescription. Now, this was brand new to me, as I said. I've never really been to an ophthalmologist or an optometrist. But if you need glasses, you know this process very well. First, they sat me down across with some letters across the room. And then they had me look through this crazy looking like viewfinder with a hundred different lenses that you could flip up and down. And, uh, and, and basically, when I looked through this thing, things looked worse across the room. But gradually, my ophthalmologist made all these micro adjustments. You know the drill. How about now? 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 How about now? Now? How about now? How about now? Now? How about now? Over and over and over and over again. And after about 50 adjustments, I could see the world accurately. Apparently this device has a name. Do any of you know the name of this device? It's called a thoropter, which sounds like a dinosaur. And if you think about it, this thing is absolutely amazing because somebody invented a device that puts me and you in contact with reality. See, a foraptor doesn't change the external world to match my dysfunctional eyes. What a foraptor does is it, is it changes my broken eyes to match the external world. And this is how I want you all to think about Scripture. In fact, there's a 17th century French theologian who famously compared the Bible to corrective lenses. The Bible, bit by bit, adjustment by adjustment, helps our blurry eyes see his world correctly. And that means that Christians just don't read the Bible, we look through the Bible. We don't just study the Bible, that we, we study the world through the Bible. We study our relationships through the Bible. In other words, <laughs> the scriptures are like a foropter. And God is like an optometrist. As we look through God's word, God himself will make micro adjustments so that we see his world more and more accurately. And this happens throughout all of scripture by the Holy Spirit. But this morning, I want to ask what would happen if we looked at the world through Psalm 148, the psalm we just read together. I think one simple, radical thing would happen and change the way that we look at the world. And it's this. This may seem like Captain Obvious. 
But here it is. God would be at the radical center. Not just of your life, but of all of life. God would be at the center, the, the blazing center of not just your life, but all things. I think if we wore this psalm like glasses, we would see a world that can only find its balance, like a gyroscope, when God is in the center. But by default, what do we do? We put so many other things at the center of the gyroscope. And then what happens? The world just, <laughs> just kind of goes off the table. We put our politics at the center. We put our careers at the center. We put our, our human heroes at the center. We put our safety or our sense of safety at the center. Maybe our family or our desire for family at the center. We put our, our, our peace or our sense of peace at the center. But if we put this psalm on like glasses, we will begin to see that this is not the way the world's supposed to work. Take another look at the Psalm 148. This Psalm summons all creation to praise the Lord. The very first phrase, praise the Lord. And we start to think, okay, this is, this is something that we're saying to each other as a congregation. But then it surprises us. Praise the Lord from the heavens. This is a, a call to worship and it's in cosmic stereo because on the one hand, we're starting at the heavens going down. And on the other hand, if you look at verse 7, it's starting at the earth and going up. It's like cosmic stereo. And it's basically the psalmist summoning all of creation, all of it, to praise the Lord. This is a beautifully creative way to describe all that God has made, all of creation. In fact, the word all, I'm using it on purpose. It happens about nine times. In this psalm, just look. Praise the Lord, all his angels, all his hosts, all you shining stars, all hills, all cedars, all livestock, all peoples, all rulers, all his saints. Every Sunday we start a call to worship here at church. This is the call to worship. Except here, all creation, animate and inanimate. Angels and humans, stars and sea creatures are called to praise the Lord. And in two places, this psalm tells us why. Verses 5 and 6 and verses 13 through 14. And so like glasses, this psalm will clarify, will bring into focus these two realities. The why all creation is to praise the Lord. And there's two Dimensions here. God is above and God is near. God is above and God is near. This is why creation praises God. First, creation praises God because He is above. And we see this in verse 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. So the reason that creation is properly centered around God is because His name is above. The aboveness of God. As one scholar points out, amidst all the alls in verse in, in, in Psalm 148, there is only one alone. It's God's name. Verse 13. His majesty is above 
all the alls. This aboveness we see first in verses 5 through 6. What's that say? Take a look with me. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. So this four at the very beginning, let them praise the name of the Lord, verse 5, for that four answers why all of creation praises the Lord. Two things we see in these verses. Number one, he commands it. Number two, he keeps it. So first, God commanded everything in existence. Look out the window. We have windows in our worship service. It's amazing. Everything in heaven and earth was commanded into existence by God's creative word. Psalm 148. He spoke and it came into being. Angels, stars, sun, moon. This says mountains, hills, trees, animals, royalty and children. A God-centered world accepts that everything in this world is here because of God's Command. Think of Jesus for a minute. When he speaks in the Gospels, what happens? Things happen. Whatever he says happens. So in Mark 5, we learn about the death of a 12-year-old girl named Talitha, the daughter. But Jesus, and I'm quoting Mark's Gospel, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said... Okay. He said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up. When God speaks, Things happen. And that's how all things came into existence. God's commanding voice. And by the way, all of creation, this psalm asserts, even inanimate, unconscious creation, know this somehow. Seriously. They know this reality. This psalm tells us that the crabapple tree, the sort of half-dead crabapple tree in front of our house, my house, is praising the Lord perfectly right now. Just being a crab on the tree. God commands it all. And second, we see in verse 6 that God keeps it all. He not only commands it into existence, but He keeps it going. Verse 6, and He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree. Some scholars think this is a reference to the Noahic covenant where God said, never again will I destroy what I made. And we see a promise at the, at the end of our scriptures, and we see Jesus talking about it, we see the, the letters of the New Testament talking about it, that there will be not just an erasure of what God made, heavens and earth, but a renewal of all that he made, heavens and earth. As one of my professors said, renew does not mean brand new. Renew means renewed. The stuff that God makes, he's going to remake and restore and repristinate. It shall not pass away. This psalm says, all that is in heaven and on earth is in place because God holds it there and God loves it. I was asked the other day why hornets exist. Anybody ever been asked that question? Why do hornets? You could substitute a lot of things. Mosquitoes would be another one. But 
why do hornets exist? And, and, and they said, I understand why bees exist since they make honey. But why do hornets exist? <laughs> when it seems that all they do is scare and stain. <laughs> I thought it was a fantastic question, and I would have been stumped even a few days earlier. But luckily I'd been studying the psalm, so I had an answer. Hornets exist to praise God. At least. In that bottom. Honestly, they praise God just by being. Next time you go on a hike, please keep this in mind. Just by existing, the trees testify to God's creative command and sustaining power. In fact, because they're not fallen like we are, hornets praise God better than we do. So the Old Testament scholar John Golia, he points out that the Hebrew definition of praise, hallel, when you see hallelujah is, is, is two words basically, praise the Lord. And that word for praise, quote, praise is an inarticulate noise. In the Hebrew, praise is an inarticulate noise, a la, 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 la sound. So being unable to articulate sentences is no barrier to giving praise. Just some incredible implications. Much of the heavens and the earth is noisy, the scholar goes on. And its noise has the ring of praise about it. Its noise draws attention, actually, to the one who made it the way it is. So when you wake up to that annoying cardinal sound outside your window, the pew, pew, that little laser gun sound that the cardinals make, maybe you think it's annoying. I actually like it. I know some out there do not enjoy the morning dove sound. Whatever it is, whenever you hear it, you are hearing praise. We live in a God-centered world because God is above it all. And he made all things and he sustains all things. And so everything from the angelic host to the water creatures that we've never encountered before even exist to praise the Lord. I think this should challenge us and comfort us by way of application. Apart from just go on a hike, which is a great application of this text. I would say that there is a, a challenge and a comfort from this. I was helped by Derek Kinder here. Idolatry, first of all, is the challenge. Idolatry is when we blur the line, isn't it, between creator and creation. It's when we elevate something in creation above the place that belongs to God. And so, Kinder points out that across human history, past and frankly present, humanity has been tempted to worship many of the things that are mentioned in this psalm. Angels, mountains, kings, I think a helpful definition of idolatry that I've heard is whenever a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, or to frame it as Psalm 148 does, whenever Anything in God's creation, which God calls good, takes place above the majestic name of God. And we would never ever say that, I think, with our mouths and with our speech, but we operate that way quite often. 
day in and day out. Whenever we seek our okayness in anything apart from the majesty, the, the aboveness, the aloneness of God. If we're seeking our okayness in fitness or finance, we will obey the demands of this idol even when, especially when it contradicts the good ways of God, the true God. And inevitably, we become disappointed when these idols do not deliver, which they don't. They only break our hearts, and they demand more and more and more and more and more of us. And so this is a challenge to you. All of creation exists to praise God. We don't, all of creation does not exist for us to praise it. And so we must never look to created things for our hope. You must never look to created things for our peace. We may never, ever look to created things for our okayness. And so let me just leave you with a standing question. What are you most tempted to place in the center of your spinning gyroscope that is your life? This psalm will say, praise the Lord. That's a challenge, but I also think it's an encouragement. Kinder, help me see this too. There are not just things in creation that I am tempted to worship, but there are things in creation that I am scared of. Like legit scary stuff in the world. Verses 7 through 8, anyone? Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind. Sea creatures, shark week, anyone? <laughs> and we can extend it out. And so it's astonishing, actually, that the Israelites are well known and they're famously scared of the water. Think of the disciples of Jesus on the boat when they see Jesus walking in the water. What do they say to Jesus? They're like, it's a ghost. Water was scary to the ancient Israelites. And so it is astonishing that they include the deeps in this call to worship. What are they doing? They're confronting, in a sense, the thing that most scares them. Saying, you exist around the orbit of God and life. So we can drum up and think of our fears, and we can say to them, God isn't the sinner. You are not. I mean, this hallelujah, in a way, right-sizes our fears as well as challenging our idols. Things are scary in this world. God is above it. I've said this often when our kids are scared. We don't tell them that scary things don't exist. We tell them that God is above the scary thing. God is above. So we put on the glasses of Psalm 48. And suddenly... A world where I'm at the center, or my fears are at the center, or my idols are at the center. Suddenly I put them on, and who is at the center? The Lord is, because He's above. But there's another aspect that we need to get a hold of here in this psalm, and that's that God is above, yes. He is near as well. Verse 14. He has raised up a horn for His people, praise for all His saints, for all the people of Israel, what? Who are near to Him. So all of creation praises the Lord because God is above all creation. 
But that is not the only reason all of creation must praise the Lord in this song. The second reason here in verse 14 tells us that God is near. And this is a strange turn in the psalm, actually. So studying this, I, I sort of was puzzled by this for a while. Because it's a call to worship. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, all of creation. It goes through from heaven down to earth and from earth up to heaven. Like an all-encompassing, as I said, stereophonic call to worship. And then it even says, hey, kings and, and all the people, like all the people, praise the Lord too. And then it gives a reason for praising the Lord. He's above. We just talked about that. But then the second reason was perplexing to me at first. The second reason everything, including humanity, is to praise the Lord is, is because of his saints. Because of, for it says, verse 14, praise for all his saints. And then for the people of Israel who are near to the Lord. In other words, God is above, but he's also near. And that is astonishing and a reason to praise the Lord. And verse 14 is amazing. It tells us how he has drawn near to his people. In two ways, by setting us apart by grace. And by raising the horn. And so first we are near to God. Because he has simply set us apart by grace. That's verse 14. The second line. We are called his saints. Why? Because we are called his saints. Did you hear that? <laughs> we're called his saints. Because we're called his saints. In the, in the Old Testament you'll see this often. I love you because I love you. God says. And then God has to clarify, not because of this, not because of that, not because you're impressive, not because you're going to impress me. No, I love you because I love you. And that's a shot to the ego, isn't it? We, we are called saints because we are called saints. We are objects of his love and his salvation simply because God wanted to, Ephesians says. We don't like this truth, again, because it hurts the ego and it causes all kinds of questions. But it's true for Israel and it is true for us. It's grace. There's nothing we did and there's nothing we will do to jeopardize this call. And the second thing we see here is that God, we are near to God because he raised a horn for us. Look again at verse 14. He has raised up a horn for his people. Now, I never understood what this phrase, raise the horn. Any of you know what this means? I never understood what this meant. I always read it and I always encountered horns in the Bible. In Revelation, you encounter horns. You see horns all over. But I always just assumed, like, I don't know what I assumed. I just glazed over it. Some, at some point, maybe I thought it was like a horn, like a trumpet. But about a month ago, I was reading a book. A Bible scholar encouraged me to Google elk fight to understand what this phrase means. I didn't have to. I've seen enough Discovery Channel. <laughs> I know what it looks like for an elk to raise his horns. And I know what it means. I am going to win this battle. Is what it means. I'm going to win this. Well, God has raised up a horn for his people. 
In Luke's Gospel, Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Why? For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in this house of his servant, David. The horn of salvation is Jesus. Jesus who raised his horn by dying on the Roman cross for us. Where the power and the penalty of our sin was defeated. He won. Jesus who raised his horn defeating Satan. Jesus who raised his horn defeating his and our enemy. Jesus who raised his horn by giving us the spirit. We no longer live in bondage to sin. Jesus who raised his horn by being raised on the third day. So that we have a future, we have a hope, and that death and decay does not have the final word in our life. Jesus is our victory, He is our horn, and here's the astonishing truth. Jesus did this when we were not praising the Lord. But exactly when we were not, we were running away from God. The Bible says we were His enemies. When God raised his horn for us. When we were praising ourselves. God raised his horn for us. So that we would praise him. This has so many implications for us. This has implications for all of creation. This horn has implications for the watching world. So let's just start with us. For us. This means that Christians be not proud. That's what it means. Christians be not proud. We must not ever be known for arrogance, but humility. Jesus is our horn. I think we sometimes think, you know, we are the horn. No, no, no. God raised up a horn for us. So we're humble. We're very humble. John Goligan, he says, he says that verse 14 is a beautiful description of what it means to be a Christian, and I agree. What is a Christian? We've been given nearness with God by grace. That's it. That's the implication I want us to walk away from here. A God-centered world means we're humble, we're low. When we put on these glasses of Scripture, and when we see the world through 148, we are lower and lower lower still, even as the horn gets raised, Jesus. This has implications for creation. According to the psalm, we are not the only beneficiaries of God's salvation. All of creation benefits. Think about this psalm. The psalm is saying, praise the Lord, mountains. Why? For Israel, for the salvation, the horn that God is raising for his people. This reminds me of Romans 8, Paul. Paul says, all of creation is eagerly awaiting the day that Jesus returns and that all of God's people wear their sonship fully with their resurrection bodies and the removal of sin. Why are they waiting eagerly right now as if in childbirth? Why? Why is Christian groaning right now? Look out the window. Why are they waiting for that day eagerly? Number one, the renewal of all the ways we've broke the world and stewarded it poorly. I have to grow a lot in this area, but one takeaway from this psalm is profoundly ecological in nature. 
Christians somehow, some way, even with these scriptures, are known for our lack of regard for creation care. This passage should, should at least mean that we are well known for our creation care. All of creation exists to praise the Lord. That's profound. Let's chew on that. But there's another reason why that out there is waiting for us in here to be fully redeemed and restored on that last day when Jesus returns. Because the resurrection of God's people means that we will steward his new heavens and new earth the way we were meant to. It cannot wait for this day. And then the watching world. That's creation. The watching world. This psalm has implications for the watching world and for our relationship to the watching world. As you look out that window, see the cars driving by. Those who are not praising the Lord right now. In this psalm, kings of the earth, all peoples, princes and rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Verses 11 and 12 tell us that the watching world is watching our praise. Um, this is right in keeping with, with, with the Bible. The Bible conveys that our salvation is not necessarily just for us to sit in our hands with. But the reason we are called is that we are called to therefore be a blessing to the world, to the watching world. And that includes evangelism, sharing our hope with others, with words. It also includes our praise. It includes how we love God and love neighbor in tangible ways. It includes all of that. But our praise here is the focus. When we sing God in the center, it ought to be beautiful. And it will be compelling. Our nearness to God. Our nearness to God by grace. The watching world ought to see the gospel at work in our praise. In the way we orient our lives, in the way that we put God at the center of our lives. All of creation is worshiping God right now, except for those who are not. We want to bring others into the song of praise that we are engaging in and that all creation is engaging in. That's a heartbeat for evangelism. That's a heartbeat for mission. It ought to be a heartbeat of our church. As we gather and worship, are you thinking only in terms of what am I getting out of this? Or could you also be thinking of, how is this, my nearness with God and my worship of Him, a blessing to those who come in here who are not yet worshiping God? This psalm is a pair of glasses. If we put it on, we will see that all of creation is worshiping the Lord. Which means right now, as we worship, we are joining not just the saints in heaven, not just the angels in heaven, but all of creation. God is above. God is near. And so let's praise Him now. Lord, we ask that this psalm would reorient our entire lives. The simplicity of it, Lord, would not go past us, but instead embed within us. That like a gyroscope, we would find our center and our balance in you. And Lord, that we would look at the world that way and that we would see that all of creation is indeed praising you. Lord, would we be a church that exists 
to extend the welcome of Jesus to those who are not yet worshiping you, so that they too would be enfolded in this call to worship. And meanwhile, we are humble, even as we approach the table this morning. We come with humility. You raise the horn, we receive the benefit. And it's in his name, our Lord, we pray this. Jesus. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.